The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory Glory to you, Lord Christ. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that you, that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise be to you, Lord Christ. afternoon. Will you please pray with me? Father, do ask now as we come to your word, as we come to begin season of Lent here on Ash Wednesday, that your word would speak to us, that our hearts, our minds, our lives would be illuminated to us in the light of what you have to say to us, that we might be changed, that the words of my mouth and meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Christ's name, amen. Well, I've been thinking about the last three Ash Wednesdays that we have had over the last three years. We didn't have one last year, of course, because of the snowpocalypse, and over 250 people died in Texas. There were over millions of homes without electricity. Well, we had single-degree weather. Then the year before that, of course, was the couple of days, a couple of weeks before the advent of the coronavirus into our country and into the world, and when the world began to be locked down and shut down. And of course, this year, we're seeing the Russian invasion of Ukraine. We're seeing 40 miles of Russian tanks and trucks and soldiers outside of Kiev lined up behind them. And I've been wondering if this is either just trying to return us to the Cold War or maybe perhaps introducing us into what's going to be World War III. Nobody knows. But it seems very much world-defining, life-changing, and once in a lifetime this year, and also last year, and also the year before. 
And I've wondered if the Ukrainian Christians were thinking about verse two here of Joel chapter two from our Old Testament passage this afternoon as the Russian soldiers were advancing from the eastern Ukraine through the country, looking very much like this blackness spread out upon the mountains, or in this case, the plains of Ukraine, a great and powerful people, like the nation that was coming to conquer the nation of Israel in Joel's time. I don't know what God has been doing the last three years in Ash Wednesday and all these life-changing, world-shaking events, but they fit with the theme of today. The theme of Ash Wednesday in Latin is memento mori, which means in English, remember that you will die. Or as Joel says, the day of the Lord is coming. A day of judgment is on its way. Or as Paul says here in 2 Corinthians, now is a favorable time. And now is a day of salvation, which of course implies that there is a day coming in which there are no choices, but only ends. Memento mori, remember that you will die. And perhaps these last three Ash Wednesdays have just been given to us by God to wake us up, to remind us of that uncomfortable truth that we like to put aside, that we don't like to pay attention to. It's unavoidable and uncomfortable truth of our human existence, really to force us. And that's what this day is for, to force us to be honest with ourselves, to speak this truth about ourselves that we will die, and also that we have earned it. Joel, you see, is just one prophet and a long line of prophets that have come before the nation of Israel, warning them again and again and again that their sin, that their idolatry, that the other gods that they are worshiping, that it was going to bring them to this day of judgment, to the day of the Lord. God had warned them about this when they went into the land before they got there in Deuteronomy. Then he warned them again in Joshua's time once they were in the land and then through the judges as well. And then countless prophet after prophet after prophet. Yet they didn't listen. And Israel had really earned the day of judgment that came upon them in the exile. And Romans tells us that the wages of our sin, the payment, the result of our sin is death. That when we miss the mark of God's righteousness and goodness, when we veer from the life that he intends us to live, what we get back is death, like a spiritual physics. I don't know if you ever read John Milton's Paradise Lost. <clears throat> it's one of those poems that people who like to think they are smart like to say that they've read it, even especially if they've never read it. But in Paradise Lost, Milton gives us an allegorical, poetical reading of how sin enters into the world. It symbolically springs out of Satan's head as a fully complete person. And then sin is pregnant, though, with death within her. And then death, once it's born, ends up reproducing with his own mother's sin and spews out horrible hounds of hell, which bite and gnaw and chew on the womb of their own mother, sin. It's a brutal picture. But what Milton is telling us is that pregnant within all sin is death. And that sin and death create cycles of more sin and more death. And it's really just a simple poetical description of what James tells us since James chapter one and verse 15. And so today on Ash Wednesday, we come before God to honestly say that this is not just a poem that we have read or a poetical description of us, but it is something that is actually true about who we are as human beings, that we are sinners, that we have earned death, 
and all of its friends. Memento mori, and we have earned it. In a moment here, we're going to be ashed. And what are ashes? Ashes are a living thing burned down into its dead form. That's what an ash is. And we're going to take this dead thing, this mark of death, and we're going to place it right here on your forehead. You can see it on mine even now from this morning. And it's a reminder of both of these things, that you are going to die. Here's the mark of death on you, and that you have earned it, because it's on your forehead. It belongs to you. And you don't get to take it off and put it onto someone else and says, my mark belongs on you. You don't get to transfer it onto your past, onto your parents, your spouse, your circumstances, or your Enneagram number. They may all have been a part of it, but this belongs to you. You've earned it and you have to own it. In fact, when you leave this place, take a moment, look at yourself in the mirror See that mark and be honest with yourself because it's a sobering fact. So how do we respond to the sobering fact? Well, the biblical answer is to repent. That's certainly the answer in Joel. It means to turn towards God. That's what Joel says. Return to the Lord your God with all of your heart. In other words, turn to him with all seriousness and earnestness about your situation. He says, rend your hearts and not simply your garments. What does Joel mean? To rend, if you don't know what it means, it means to tear. It was a common practice in those days that people would tear up their garments as a way to sort of show you that their heart was torn up. And say, apologizing to God or to others, they would rend, rip their garments. But Joel says, don't rend your garments. Why? Because rending garments in his day had become a show. It had become a religious theater, sort of like my kids saying, I'm sorry to their siblings after they did something rude to them. If Joel had written, it's basically what Jesus talks about in Matthew 6, this performative, practiced righteousness for others to see. That's what the rending garments had become in Joel's day. If Joel had written Matthew 6, he might have written it this way. He would have said, stop rending your garments before other people in order to be seen by them. You are not being honest before God. And God who deals with the heart, with the inside, he will not reward you. He will give you the reward that you are actually seeking, the praise of others. That's why you're rending your garments and not your hearts. Instead, turn to the living God on the inside, where only God can see the secret places, the place where it's just you and God. Then you'll be turning to and turning for God, and God will give himself to you. That's the goal of repentance, to gain God. It's the goal of Lent. It's not just to do things differently. It's not just self-improvement or to make our lives better or better ourselves. It's turning to God as the answer to the sin and death which haunts us. Taking the truth about ourselves to the only place we have left to take it, to God himself. Because you know these ashes that we will put on our foreheads in a moment, they're more than just a reminder they're also a declaration because these ashes you might not be able to see anymore, but they're going to be placed in the shape of a cross declaring that Christ through his cross has made your death, his death has made your sin that was pregnant with death, his sin, the mark of death. Or as Paul says here in second Corinthians chapter five, the mark of death and sin is going to transfer it to himself.
for your sake. You who are smudged and marked with sin and death for your sake. He became sin who knew no sin. He became death who knew no death. He became it through the cross that we might become the righteous ones of God. So we can be reconciled to God. So that the cycle of sin and death is not our final story, but rather Christ and life are our final story. So that's how we begin Lent. An honest reminder and visible declaration of grace through the ashes. But how do we continue for the next 40 days of Lent? How do we continue? How do we continue to rend our hearts, as Paul says, to not receive, to rend our hearts, as Joel says, or as Paul says, to not receive God's grace in vain? How do we do that? Our Matthew passage here focuses on three areas of practice. Giving, praying, and fasting. And notice that while Jesus here wants to make sure that we are doing these practices for the right motives, he is still assuming that we are doing these things. When you pray, when you give, when you fast. So giving, praying, and fasting. In fasting, we cut things back. We clear space in our day to attend to God and to others. In prayer, we allow for the presence of God to grow in our lives, for his truth and his word to grow in our lives. In giving, we open up our resources for others, giving what God has already given to us. The way they like to think about it is a ranch in the hill country. I don't know if you've ever been out to a ranch in the hill country, but in the hill country, cedars will grow everywhere and anywhere if you let them. No one can even walk through the property if the cedars are out of control. They infest the ground. You can't even get around, and no one wants to or can go into the property if the cedars are overwhelming everything. Lent is cedar-clearing time. You see, God has purchased you for his land at the cost of his own blood on the cross. He's made you his, but the land needs improvements, as they say, so that the owner can come and live there fully. The cedars have to be cut back so space can be created, so a home can be built there, so that the natural beauty of the land might shine through. The cedars have to be cut back so other things like grass and flowers and plants can grow and make the place desirable and livable. And the cedars have to be cut back so others can come and use the ranch and be sheltered there and welcomed there. And the cedars have to be cut back so that one day the owner who, brought, who bought that property and developed it and improved it and brought forth its natural beauty and made it a home and a blessing to others might come and live there and move in and settle there eternally. That's Lent. Cutting things back to make space for God. So we can be made into the people who give themselves away as God gave himself away for us. So for the next 40 days of Lent until Easter, here's my encouragement. Find the thing that is growing everywhere out of control in your life. That's infesting it. That's choking it out. That's demanding your constant attention. Cut it back. Social media. Attention to food alcohol, exercise, traveling, overly planning your schedule, daydreaming, whatever it might be, clear that space and let something else grow there. Pray to God. Sing to God. Read of God. Write to God. Let your 
experience and relationship with God grow in that space. Then share the resources that God has given you with others. Give money. Give time. Invite people over to your home for a meal that you would not normally ordinarily bring over. Give a listening ear. Give food. Share the hospitality of God that he has shared with us. And then continue on the path of honesty and grace that we are beginning this day on Ash Wednesday. Because as, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, now is a favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. Remember, you will die if you're not going to begin. Do it now. Now is the day. Step forward in faith and run after Christ. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.